You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Nate Miller. Nate is an amazing actor. He's one of the busy artistic directors of the theater company Lesser America, and he's a hilarious and lovely artist to be in the room with. Nate was in the class right after me at Juilliard, and he's one of my husband's closest friends. His joy and generous spirit permeate everything he's involved in, and I'm so glad he agreed to share his stories with me for the podcast. I hope you enjoy the 37th episode of The Compass. pleasure my pleasure i've been wanting to do it for a long time so neat what is the dark side for you and how do you try to avoid going there as an artist well i think the dark side takes many different forms uh i i'm a person who uh likes to be busy um so like for example right now uh i'm not working on a job and my theater company just finished uh, producing a play and uh so i've had like a whole week to myself uh where i like have not yet gone back fully to my day job and uh, i just i just like chill at my house so like everything's really clean now and uh and like everything's really organized and my inbox and my email is like now empty which is fantastic it makes me feel really good but like all that's done now so now i really don't know what to do with myself and that is that is truly like when the when the dark thoughts creep in of like what if i never work again like what what if i never have enough money to like be be a person in the world what if i'm what if i'm 65 and i still like need to you know be a barista like that's a, a terrifying prospect that's that's the dark place for me is like where my mind goes in those times i'm also an only child and i think as a result of that like i have a great imagination and i've spent a lot of time like by myself like inventing characters and hanging out by myself and entertaining myself but then i moved to this city called new york where there's just people everywhere and like for me it's like a kid in a candy store like i love community i love i love hanging out with people like i love you know just i it, i'm a very very social person um so that is a probably getting to your question of like how do you combat the the dark side like i like to be with people uh and i like to hang out but the second part of that dark side is uh this city's really expensive and everything in this city that's social i mean there are of course uh options that don't cost money but like a lot of things are built around like food and drinks and and events that all cost money so when you're not working and like the way I want to combat things is like I just want to meet up with people and hang out and you know like meet whole, hang on with friends that I haven't seen in a long time, uh, and then that costs money and I'm like but I'm not working oh no I'm gonna be so poor or I am already and I'm gonna be poorer. Yeah, that's my dark side. <laughs> just speaking about like that social side of it, I know you're just social by nature, but do you ever feel like you're being sucked into that weird social dynamic of being in? Yeah, that's interesting. I one of my New Year's resolutions was um, so I, I'm a co-founder of this theater company called Lesser America, mm-hmm. and uh, I've always felt like very in control of my social interactions. That like it's 
sure you're meeting up with people and you're talking about the business and sometimes you're talking about the company and sometimes you're talking about your own individual um, journey that you're on. But I always felt like it's with a compatriot or like another member of my community. So I don't consider it like work uh, or difficult. Just your peers. Just my peers. Yeah. But then there's been several times now where uh, throughout the past like two or three years where people have been like, I'd really love to have coffee with you and talk about your theater company because I want to make a theater company too. And I'm like, that's awesome. I would love to, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know any more than anybody else. Like I didn't like figure this all out and like now our theater company is perfect. Like it's not, it's not that at all. We continue to be very lucky and we have a lot of help. Um, But so I end up like going to these coffee meetings with people that I don't know that well and they're basically just like, okay, so like theater company, I want to make one. So just like, tell me how to do it. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't, oh man, I don't have an answer to that. So my new year's resolution getting back to that was that like, I'm not going to go to any meetings that are going to cost me time and money and energy unless it's with somebody who like actually has some concrete questions. So I try to like do those things over email first and then go somewhere. Cause I was just spending like a lot of Saturdays going and eating expensive lunches with people who I, you know, like, <laughs> like I kind of know. And like, I, I don't have any good information for them and they don't have any real questions for me. So that aspect of it, I try to keep control of my own, my own social behavior in that, like, I want it to be worth it for me in a, in a soul way. Like I want it to make me happier and not just be, actors can get can get real down on themselves that dark place is like a real thing for every single person and when you know richard feldman our acting teacher back at school used to say energy begets energy and i mean like i have watched it happen where it just takes one person to be like oh can i just complain about something for a second and all of a sudden it's like the whole room is tears because everyone's just having the worst day so i try to make sure that the social aspect of my thing doesn't just turn into a constant gripe session and like we can keep focused on positive things in the future moving forward you know what kind of steps can we take yeah can we talk a little bit about how you guys started the company yeah totally or why totally so i got out of uh juilliard in 2010 Mm -hmm. and it was this was my first acting job that i got out of school was that summer uh, there was this play called Keep Your Baggage With You at All Times. I forgot that that was right after you graduated. Yeah, it was. It was in, like, August after we graduated. We did this play. I met Laura Ramaday and Dan Ablis. They were both acting in the play as well. And uh, and they and the writer of the play were talking about uh, starting a theater company, Theater Collective, and they were all NYU kids. Um, and they asked me if I wanted to be involved, and basically said like that's adorable i went to juilliard i'm about to be famous so, so i've got a i've got about 10 more minutes of doing this downtown theater with you kids and then um i'm gonna be on a series uh that's not true that's that's not true at all but uh the truth of it was i was i did feel like i had just gotten out of school i had just spent four years focusing and working really really hard on trying to create a career for myself in this business that's difficult and I, I know that theater companies are difficult. I've watched a lot of people build them, some very successfully, some not so much. Um, and I was just like, man, I, I don't think I have the time or the money yeah. or the wherewithal to like jump into this thing whole hog and try to like make, a, 
you know, uh, a company, like a, th- a thing with many moving parts that needs attention all at all times. Um, but then that theater, Theater for the New City, heard these whisperings that we were going to start a collective of some kind, and they very generously said, would you guys like to be our one of our um, companies in residence? And we were like, well, what does that mean? And they were like, we will give you space and we will give you access to our shop and our props and our costumes and you can produce here for free and we will just take like a big cut of your box office and we were like jokes on you we're not gonna make any money at box office take all the money if you want there's none there uh but that is true that is the way that it began yeah i mean that's the thing like space costs everything uh and so yeah we started i think our first show was like i think we spent like five thousand dollars like all in paying the actors and the designers and the director and everything you know like we made sets out of cardboard and quite literally trash like we found stuff off the street we stole stuff off the street out of dumpsters like anything we could find and that was how it began um and every day i think about my dark side and what that is and how it manifests itself and how lucky I am that my my compatriots with that company invited me into this thing that keeps me always busy, always, always having something else to focus on, even when, like, the audition didn't go well or, like, even if I'm doing a show not in New York, if I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, or I'm in La Jolla or something, like that show makes me upset or I feel bad and I feel like, Oh, I I missed, I wish I was in New York. I wish I was with my people. There's several emails from all of them being like, have you done this yet? We have to figure out the PR for the next show. We got to find the, have you read the script? The script is really great. You got to check it out. Like it keeps me grounded and feeling like even when your individual career as an actor, you feel stalled or like you're moving backwards. That is always a thing that like, there's always work to do to move forward. I feel like I'm, making strides as an artist and it could very easily not be that way if i had really been like "Mm, i don't want to take the time to like worry about something that's going to cost me you know time and effort from my own career man if i focused on my own career more than i do like i i think it would kill me yeah this this company has served as a a beneficial tool for keeping focused recharging my artistic batteries when i get depleted on the other side of things um it's really fantastic and i also it serves the other side of that too which is the the social we have we've been really lucky but we've also put a lot of hard work into building a community of artists and collaborators who have been a part of lesser America in the past or continue to be, or will be in the future, but are just like usual suspects at our shows and at our parties. I feel like I'm very plugged into this city and the, and the art that is happening here, not just theater, but I mean, dance and music and visual art. I mean, I've gotten to meet so many wonderful people who are now a part of this big family. So it doesn't make it, it never makes it feel like going to work. It makes it feel like going to make work with your friends, having a, having a ball. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially if you're working with the people that you enjoy yeah. creating with and being around. And those fools at Lesser America are the best. They're super fun. They're, they're, they're the sweetest. Yeah. Um, so now it's what, how many shows later? 
This is, we just finished our ninth yeah. Half Moon Bay. And we're going to do our 10th in January. We're, so now we're no longer at Theater for the New City. We've moved west. <laughs> we're still down in the village. We're in the West Village now at, um, at the Cherry Lane Theater. And we're their inaugural resident company. We're their first company to be in residence there. So we just did our first show with them. And we're going to do another one in January. Mm-hmm. Now you're at Cherry Lane, like you're really becoming a part of this history of off off Broadway theater. Yeah. In New York, like those those are the theaters that I saw things at right when I moved to the city. There's such a rich history there. Totally, me too. I I would have never. I would have never dreamed, and I think I think that's the way it works, or the way that it maybe it's supposed to work. But uh, I don't think you get to like walk in and be like someday. I'm going to produce a show at Rattlestick because I love this place. And I said, like, I think it, I think if that was your intention, it wouldn't go that way. Um, much like acting. Like, I don't think you get to be like, I like that show, the West wing. I'm going to be on it. You know, like it, I wish it did. I think sometimes, you know, those beautiful dreams, it's shit. Yeah. (laughs) The West wing would be a cast of 450,000 New York actors. Uh, but we, we just kept making work that inspires us in the exact same way that I think the work we've seen at those places, those, these institutions now has inspired us. And those two things come together. And all of a sudden the people at Rattlestick or the people at Cherry Lane start to take notice. And they're like, so they're kind of doing like what we're kind of doing. Why don't we invite them in and then we can all do it together. Yeah. And so in that way, it's been, I guess all I'm trying to say is that like, we're not, we're not brilliant and tactical. We're just, driven and uh very very lucky and we just make the stuff that we want to see have you found a love for the producing side now that you've done some of these shows or like you're not acting in them also you're solely producing do you find some joy out of that or is it just the fact that you're getting to see the company create something no but i think i understand what you're what you're after i have a very palpable love hate relationship with producing it's totally it's not um it's the things i love about it mm-hmm. are it gives me a chance to like i said before like to recharge your artistic batteries it gives me a chance to be on the other side of the table um and not just be focused on the acting of something and the 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 minuscule, the moments of a piece, the, um, the beats of a scene, I get to be worried about a much bigger picture. Uh, and that is nice. That actually is like a little vacation from the minutia of something going into a big picture land. Uh, it gives me a lot of respect for all of the, all of the people who have to work really hard at what they're doing in order for me to like worry about the minutia of a scene when I'm acting in a play. So I love that. I do love the fact that we're we're able to be a place where new work gets made and where people get an opportunity to to act, to design lights, to, you know, to to make things I I told you how the company started, but I will also tell you one of my like driving factors of asking myself once we found out that we had space, I was like, okay, I it now seems possible 
since theater for the new city has given us a residency, it seems possible. Like it won't break us financially. Let's do this now. Why though? Why am I going to make a theater company? Is it literally just to like make my own opportunities so that I can be in plays and then people can see me and then hopefully I can like get famous and go. Uh, and that really wasn't what I was after. But I remember having a conversation with our friend Marco Ramirez, who uh, is a fantastic playwright, also a, an amazing, he's like a showrunner and a producer and a writer for TV and also in movies. Um, but I remember talking to him, uh, I guess it was my fourth year at school, about, you know, your plays are fantastic. Like, when is it going to be, when are you going to hook it up in New York? And he was like, well, you can't really do anything in New York uh, until you get something that's like doing pretty well regionally and i was like oh okay well what are you gonna do some regional stuff he's like you can't really get anything going on regionally until you have something that's kind of a hit in new york and i was like well there are theaters in new york that like devote themselves to new new playwrights to young playwrights right you know like what about theater row what about playwrights horizons what about signature uh and let me just preface this with all the respect in the world to signature and playwrights and you know and theater row i think those places are fantastic it's just a, it's a delicate balance of like, how do you get new work seen? Right. Um, right, totally. And like, those are theaters that need to pay their bills and need to make sure their subscribers keep coming back. So like, for example, he was like, Playwrights Horizons, like they're going to do like the new David Mamet play and they're going to do the new Chris Durang play. But like, there's people there that want to see the writers they remember being young with their new stuff. Like they want to check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to get your foot in the door there. And I was like, okay, well then let that be for the, that generation of theater goers. And like, cause like I'll produce your play. I don't have a lot of money, but like I'll produce it. And I'll, I think we'll do a really good job with it. It won't, yeah. it won't be a million dollar set. It won't have all the glitz and spectacle of like a, a show that has a lot of money behind it, but it'll certainly have passion and it'll have young actors and young designers all really want to like, make their mark on it really um show what they can do with a piece so that was my driving force was i guess a for the writers but b i mean it's it's true for directors actors designers that brings me great joy to know that not only are we like it's not like benevolent you know like we're giving everybody it's not that as much as it is like we're getting to make our own thing together and we're all sort of at this similar level of beginning our careers starting to get noticed starting to get some following so i feel like yeah, hopefully someday we will be a part of that history of rattlestick and cherry lane of you know like like people come up to you and be like oh you were you were a member of labyrinth you're a member of steppenwolf that's i mean how did you guys start that i hope that we're still telling that story 20, 30 years from now, like, wow, you guys started Lesser America? Like, what was it like in the beginning? Yeah. I mean, like, we had to chase heroin addicts out of theater for the new city. Like, <laughs> yeah. That was where it was. <laughs> that was, <laughs> yep. Um, you talked about that it was interesting to be on the other side of the table. Like, when you're in audition mode as an actor, do you find that that changes the way you go into a room now, having had more experience on the other side, or you have the, the agency and the power? Yeah, I. it's funny. I don't know if it gives me any more or less agency or power, but it gives me uh, a, a chance to let go of... I mean, acting is a personal thing. 
you're using your own emotions, your own point of view, you're giving yourself fully, and you're opening your your little protective heart box up completely. You know, you're vulnerable. You're there uh, quite literally, like, pushing yourself towards embarrassment purposefully. Um, So when a casting director or somebody just says, like, great, thanks, next, you know, you're like, oh, oh, my tiny little heart. Uh, Being on the other side of the table has given me insight into the fact of, like, it's almost never about you. But as an actor, I know it feels, it really feels like, you know, it feels like it's personal. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they don't like you. I went to, this is a, this is a good example. I went to, um, an audition for a TV show and it was like three lines and the lines were, they were some, they were like, yes, I don't know. Yeah. Move him. Like those were the three lines that I had to go into an office and say, and so I traveled from Brooklyn into Manhattan. Took me like 45 minutes to get there. I sat in the waiting room. They were behind. Sat there for like a half hour. Walked in. I swear I was in that room for under a minute because it was like, you know, hey, Nate. Okay, we're just going to do it right away. Great. Hey, yep. I don't know. Yep, you should move him. Okay, cool. Have a good day. And I walked out. And then the casting director guy comes out and he was like, lose the beard, right? I have a big beard. For, for the people at home who can't see that, I have a big beard. And he looked at me and he was like, lose the beard, right? And I'm like, yeah, if you need me to. And he gave me this look that was like, oh, sure, yeah, uh, for the TV show if you book it. But I think what I'm trying to tell you is you should get rid of the beard. Really? Like, that's what, that's what I walked away with, the feeling being. And then I was like, okay, now I'm going to get back on the train and spend 45 minutes going back to my house in Brooklyn. So I think what just happened is... I spent about an hour, close to two hours, to get less than a minute of time to quote-unquote act and then have somebody tell me that they don't like the way I look and that I should change something about myself. And I texted my girlfriend that, I'm like, what is this business we're in? And she was very sweet and she she took care of me and made me feel better. But uh, But I look back on that now, I can laugh about it because, like, I, you know... I didn't book that part, surprise, Uh, I didn't book that part because of any number of reasons. It probably had nothing to do with my beard, it probably had nothing to do with me as an actor. It was probably like, they cast somebody taller because the actor who they have to be talking to is a really tall guy. It's nothing I can control, and it's nothing that I need to feel bad about myself for. And I've booked a lot of things because of this beard, so... That's true. Screw you, bro. I know. I've done, yeah, I've had, it's so weird. I think now when, when people in school ask me, like, how do you, how do you get an agent? How do you, I'm just going to look at the boys and say, grow a beard, grow a beard. That's all you need. Hair acting. Hair acting. That's all you need. So you've been doing a lot of plays in school. Mm Mm-hmm. How do you work out the financial part of your life? Like when you're between shows or Mm -hmm. when the shows aren't paying you enough or whatever it is? Um... Well, it's a constant negotiation. Uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, I have a, I have a day job. I have a jobby job. I've been really lucky. I've worked, uh, for this tour bus thing called the ride in New York city for like five years. Um, and I've done all kinds of things there. I've, I've been a host, like the actual tour guide on the bus. I've done that 
mostly the whole time, but they have performers on the street. So I've like sang on the street. I've been a freestyle rapper. Now I've kind of transitioned out of all the performance elements and I'm one of the creative directors. So I, I help get new hosts in, train them, give them notes on the, yeah, I do. I do both. Like I like, I still host a little bit, but I also am, uh, just by virtue, I think of being there the longest I've seen the ride in all of its different iterations. So now I, you know, uh, help direct a little bit with a couple of the other creative directors. So that's a great job for many reasons. One is it's pretty flexible. I can schedule myself, you know, just for nights and weekends and we trade shifts with each other. So, you know, if I know I'm not going to have any auditions for the first part of the week, then I can work during the days. Or if I do end up getting an audition that I need to get out of, I can call a couple people at the ride. Usually somebody can switch the shift with me. That's been great. It's a job where I get to perform, um, which is fantastic. It's like a job where I, I get to be quick on my feet. I get to improv. I get to act. I get to be funny. And, uh, and that goes a long way towards making your day job bearable. If you're a person like me who is social and likes to be fun and funny and perform a lot. Uh, I think if I was, if I was just waiting tables or being a bartender and I've done it, lots of people do it. But I think that for me right now, that's a thing that would really make me, it would take me deeper into the dark place, even though it was, I'd be getting money for it. It would like not equal out. It would make me sad and angry. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is I have the most supportive, unbelievable parents in the world who constantly are not only financially supportive and they are make no mistake. They, they have helped me with everything from health insurance to help with rent, to help with credit card debt, to help with student tuition. I mean, uh, student loans, you know, there's, there seems to be several times in my life where like all of a sudden every bill in the world is due on the same day. And it's like, ah, and I've had this conversation with my parents many times where I'm like, I'm a 31 year old man. I went to grad school. I went to, I went to this good school. I think like one of the best ones. And, and I feel like I'm doing a good job. Like I'm, I, I act all over the country and I act in New York and I'm, yeah, like, I don't think I'm unsuccessful. Like I'm doing a really, I feel like I'm doing it all right. And I can't support my life, which is very meager in New York city. Like I'm, you know, I don't, I've wanted an iPad for six years and I uh, like every job I've done, I've been like on this one, I think I'll save enough money and I will buy an iPad. But like, it just, it goes away. It goes to, Oh, I have the money now. Like I should pay for a year of health insurance since I have the weeks to do that. Like just buy that now, do that now. That's really important. That's more important than an iPad, Nate. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. But But, Totally. Totally. Uh, so anyway, that being said, I just want to say out loud to anybody who thinks that being an actor in New York City, even one who works pretty consistently, I mean, we do not make a lot of money. No. I, I just... I've heard it so many times from so many actors older than me, like, I hope you're not getting into this for the money thing. Uh, I would never tell anybody, be like 
if you can do anything else, get out now. You should do. Th- I don't. I don't believe in that. I believe if I believe if this is what you want to do, this is what you should do. And I'll tell you what. I get paid a hundred other ways than money. I get paid in the heart. I get paid with happiness. I get paid with community and friends and just like love. You know. Um, wow, that's that's gonna be the sound bite. That's the that's the grooviest hippiest thing I've ever said. I just get paid with love. But you should also get paid a living wage. And um, I've been very lucky to work at some wonderful theaters in New York, some institutions, I think we can call them. Uh, And I have been poorer at the end of those jobs than I was when I started. And that is unbelievable. And a couple of those jobs, after taxes and you pay your agent, like I don't have a manager or anything. Like my money's going to... The one place that I think you, most actors need, you like have to have an agent these days mostly. After that, there's been a couple of those jobs where like I'm getting paid less than unemployment. It would actually behoove me to be lazy on my couch. I'm not saying that anybody who's unemployed is lazy on their couch. Let me just say that. But like it would behoove me to be sitting on my couch not doing anything because if I could claim unemployment, I would actually be making more. It makes it makes fiscal sense for me to not work in this huge theater that's like that's just i know you might be more informed about this than i am i know actors equity is going through some things right now with off-broadway contracts to try to improve Mm -hmm. kind of like the actors equity minimum wage Mm -hmm. yeah yeah right now we are negotiating the off-broadway contract and we're just that's that's our our main bullet point Mm -hmm. totally and i mean i'm talking about me as a, I'm like a single a single man with no dependents. I'm I have a girlfriend, but I I certainly don't. Yeah, I I don't support her. Um, she supports me more often than not, if we're being honest. But uh, but like, it's just me, you know. And I live in a a house with roommates, and like we all share the burden of rent and groceries and all that stuff. But like, I just think about there's people with children. And like, they they how do you do that? How do you put a kid through school? Well, and then like you've done a lot of regional work, and mm-hmm. generally those theaters pay a lot more, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In um, so, well, I did want to ask you about your family because I know your parents are so supportive. Mm-hmm. Hi, mom and dad. Wherever you are, we love you. They're the sweetest. They're the best. So what? Okay, so two questions. I sure. Guess. One, I wanted to ask about your family growing up and, like, when you decided to be a performer and how they kind of dealt with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, also, what's it been like to travel so much and to live in, to, in New York and to be so far from your family sure. for this career? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think if if you ask me, I say that I, like, I really decided I wanted to be an actor. I always liked acting, and I was in plays in elementary school and middle school and on and on and on. Um, but I think I didn't really decide that I wanted to be an actor as a career until, you know, in, in high school, like maybe sophomore, junior year, I started to think about this being a thing I really wanted to pursue as my life. Um, but if you ask my parents, they're like, uh, we knew when he was two years old and he was running around there, there is a true story of my parents would come to pick, came to pick me up at some birthday party 
and they like walked into the room full of kids and I wasn't there and they were like, where is Nathan? So they walked into the kitchen and I was there with all the adults and they were like, oh, he's been just with us, like entertaining us doing <laughs> like doing like accents and different voices and stuff instead of because the other kids didn't care. But like the adults, they were they were a savvy crowd. You know, you could really <laughs> land a joke. Uh, so I think according to them, they they knew to deal with it from day one that they had a they had a performer on their hands um once again i'm an only child so that's given my parents don't have to split time between uh their offspring so though i've been you know working kind of in def- several different parts of the country they almost always come and see opening night or closing night or come at some point during the run because they can just sort of pick up together. My dad's retired. He was a firefighter for 30 years, but he's he's done now, so he's kind of free and easy and he loves to drive. So, they'll they'll <laughs> jump in the van. My mom's a, a professor at Concordia University in Wisconsin, so she has like a weekend free or if she can like take a couple of days off, uh they'll just fly out to me or they'll drive to me or whatever. So So I would say that I miss them terribly, except that I see them all the time. Um, and I, it's funny to think about them as being supportive. They certainly are, but I feel like they're so much more than being supportive. Like, they really are, like, they're a member of the crew. They're a member of the family. When I say family, I mean, like, the community family of artists. I mean, they... That's true. They know They know all the Juilliard kids. They know all the lesser Americans. They are, make themselves very at home at my apartment whenever they come through. Like, you know, they're, they come and hang, and they like to party, so they're, <laughs> they're, they're a big part of it. Yeah, they're, like, not so much supportive as much as they are just uh, equal members in this whole thing. I mean, it really is a team effort. We're a, we're a small family business, as my mother likes to say, which I appreciate. I did. That was, uh, that was difficult. Um, I, I think, you know, this is the thing about, yeah, exactly. This is, this is the thing about, about being, uh, in the position that we are in the, in the, um, profession we're in. Um, I can make all the plans I want. Mm -hmm. Like I do love New York. LA I had a bad experience with the city's delightful but I didn't you know it just it would seem to me like starting over in a new city where I don't have this community that I find myself to be really embedded in and I feel like I've made a lot of steps in this city and I love it here I genuinely love it here so there's a big part of me that's like nope you know sooner or later I'm gonna get like a really permanent place in Brooklyn. I'm going to buy a dog. I'm going to rescue a dog and we're going to live our dreams together in New York city. And I'll just continue to make it work. And like, hopefully I can book some TV. But like, I think the moment that I were to have enough money and buy a place and get that dog, there would be like, Hey, there's this thing in Los Angeles. Come out here. You know, it could change at any moment. Um, totally, you know, or there, yeah, I mean, but if if I had my druthers, I would love to stay in this city. It's it's the home of independent theater. It's the home of brave new art that is not for everybody, but is welcomed. Is, everybody is welcomed to. Uh, it's a place of strong opinions. It's a place of social change. It's a place of conversation. And 
I, I don't ever want to be anywhere where those things are not a part of the, a part of the conversation. Um, and the community here is just so, so diverse. And I sure like different cultures and backgrounds, but like just so many different opinions, such diversity of opinion and point of view. And that just makes the conversation on any given night so rich and beautiful. I mean, that's, it's not that way everywhere in this country, I can tell you. And, uh, and that's a thing that I don't ever want to be without. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'd like to stay in New York for a good long time till the water rises. But that's another story. <laughs> uh, do you have any other artistic outlets that you have copies? Things you are you a writer? Um, kind of. I mean, I was actually having this conversation with Damon Dono, my other roommate, last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of our girlfriends are brilliant actresses, but they are also writers um, of sketches and short film and television uh and he asked me if i write and i was like you know i've never i've never written a full story front to back except like for school or something you know for a playwriting class uh but i am i do like to write jokes i like write like just like little little like this is a funny sketch idea this is a funny sketch idea and i i think somewhere in my mind i'm trying to like find a way to put them all together and then have them be a a pilot for a TV show or a short film or something. But, uh, I mostly just write scenarios that I find <laughs> that I find funny. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah. Is there something that's happened like in the last year or so that you were really proud of that you want to tell me about? Like some lesson you learned or mm-hmm. it might not be obvious, but. Hmm. I guess I would, I guess I would say like, the lesson of uh, a two-part lesson of honesty and acceptance, um, being being really honest with yourself about who you are, what you what you believe in, what you stand for, what you're willing to speak out about, and what you're not, and then being accepting of that, being gentle with yourself along those lines, but then taking that to a macro level appreciating honesty from those around you when they give it to you and accepting their point of view as being completely valid. Uh, Duality or dualism. I don't know which word is a real one and which is a fake. (laughs) Check out Google. Um, The idea of holding two dissenting opinions or or points of view on an issue in your head at the exact same time and, and recognizing both as being equally valid and that being okay. Uh, is a has been kind of a an illumination for me of um I, you know I don't there's there's people who I love and respect and turn to for advice that I just don't agree with their opinions on several different large issues but realizing that their opinions were formed in a real way and they have a reason for them uh and I don't just get to be right, right. uh and appreciating their point of view it's a yeah I guess like acceptance and honesty is two good lessons to learn anytime. So I don't know if that was just this year or if it's a thing I've been learning for, especially this year. That's really true. Yeah. Yeah. So what's it like to be dating another artist since your girlfriend is an actress too? Yeah. Um, she's a very, she's a, 
a special actress because she is, I've. And hopefully, she's going to be on the podcast. Yeah, so she should be. She should be because she's fantastic. Um, okay, so there's like, I have dated other actresses before, and other artists, yeah. and then people who aren't artists at all. Uh, and I, you know, I've heard the lots of people. I'm probably not you and Frankie because you're both actors, but like. But a lot of people are like, oh, my God, just don't don't date an actress. They're the worst, man. No. And I'm like... It just doesn't work for everybody. It has to be the right people. Yeah, but the thing that I've really come to realize is, like, no, I, I just think, like, some people are difficult and some people aren't. Yeah. <laughs> or some people are really well-matched together and some people aren't. And that's fine. And it has very little to do with profession. your profession is or, like, you know, because I'm, I'm an actor and I'm, there's plenty of people that I don't think care for me or or the way I go about doing things but for some people it really works you know my gal and I we get along together because we're we're witty and fun and funny and we're competitive so like <laughs> we are we are always just rushing to try and get to the punchline first trying to build on each other's jokes i mean we spend a lot of our day building fantasy imagination worlds in our heads or like out in the living room where we're just creating characters and making fun of each other and trying to like get to the next you know it's it's beatrice and benedict from much ado but without the she she hasn't asked she hasn't asked me to kill anybody yet yet um it's it really is it's it's the thing i've realized i i like i've i miss in my life you know yeah right yeah it's true uh but as far as being an art being two artists together in some ways it's it's the best medicine because i go to that audition and i feel bad about myself because like apparently that guy thinks i'm ugly and i'll never work in tv or at least that's what like my dark little passenger in the back of my brain tells me it's just just like my beard right (laughs) to be fair i should trim this mother up but um but I like feel that way for a second, and I I think that somebody not in our profession, not knowing exactly like what those feelings are that you go through when you walk into that audition room, might just be like, oh, I'm sure he didn't mean it, or you know whatever. But like, she knows exactly how to like get inside my head, say all the right things, and calm me down, and help me like move on to the brightness of the rest of the day. In that regard, you know, dating a fellow actor, fellow artist is fantastic because she, she's been she's been in and is in the trenches with me every day, and and it's also it's nice for me too because I feel like we're not so separate, and I know you know when when she's down in the dumpster, she doesn't feel good. Like it does make you feel good as a as a partner to feel like you're helping, um, and so like when I when I like you know, know the right things to say for this particular thing. Cause I've been through it. I mean, like, that's just the best. I feel like I'm the best boyfriend ever. Uh, and then, you know, on the other side, we're both going to be poor for the rest of our lives. So <laughs> that, that part of, that part of being an actor is like, man, one of us really should have got our MBA, I guess. Uh, but no, I, I don't see, I don't see too many downsides and she just keeps me super informed of the, all the parts of the social conversation that like I may not be aware of or like have somehow found a way to like shut out 
she doesn't let me get away with that. You know, she's, she's a, she's a deeply feeling artist as I believe I am too, but like we're two different people and two different genders, frankly. And, uh, as a man, I think, you know, to, to stay woke as a, as a feminist man. Yeah. I said it. Sometimes it's really helpful to have a female advocate pointing out to you, you know, not only the things that are happening in the world, but the things that like, are you sort of ignoring that? You should not ignore that. That's not the way, you know? Yeah. And I, I appreciate it because it's hard to know the things you don't know. Are there any concrete things that you kind of grab onto on those days where you're feeling really down that you go back to? Yes. And they're really easy, and yet they're deceptively difficult. Okay. Uh, so, like, I've gone back to school a couple of times, and I've uh, assistant directed, and I've, like, spoken in some classes Um sometimes about the theater company, sometimes just, you know, to like help as an actor witness class or whatever. But so like the advice I always give about when you get out of school is to like structure your day because you've been at school in this highly structured environment for four years. And then you get out and you're like, whoo, great. I've got nothing to do. I've got no reason. Uh, and I'll tell you, man, I <laughs> like that for, I, I'm, I think I was like born to be a college student my whole life cuz I just There's like something wonderful about that period of your life. I loved it, man. I loved it so much. I did it twice. Like that's how much yeah, I loved so. being a college student. Um and There's that much less of a map. Totally. Especially for this career. Totally. And that first year out, I was very happy to stay up till all hours of the morning and then wake up whenever I woke up and then like eat whenever I felt like. But then there's all of a sudden your day becomes this like amorphous thing that it's hard to get motivated to do anything. So the thing I always say to people is just wake up at a certain time so that you can do something you like, like just, just wake up so that you can watch sports center at 10 in the morning. 10 is not early. It's not too late. You can get up, you can watch Sports Center, you watch Sports Center, then you're like then you're up, you've done something you like already, then you can start doing your thing with your day. Those are the things I, I definitely do. I'm a big for being this like college student who likes to sleep in and do whatever, I'm also like a big list maker. Like I like to make lists. I like to just feel like I've accomplished things. Mm-hmm. So on those times, like for example, right now, like I said, like my house is really clean and like my email inbox is, is empty. Those are things I set up for myself. Like today's the day you, you have nothing else that you have to do, but like you should do those things. It'll make you feel like you did some. Yeah. And then once you're doing that, then you're like, okay, so like now I'm actually going to do this next thing. Cause I'm on a roll. I'm going, I've got things going on. You know, that being said, sometimes it's really hard to wake up, uh, at 10 in the morning to watch sports center. It, it it is if you're if you're sad or if you're in a like yeah. but you like giving yourself a structure to clean yeah yeah that's that's a concrete thing I like to do mm-hmm. and another concrete thing I like to do uh is to just like get out and see somebody that you haven't seen in a while or somebody you know just like get out and see people is is always my go-to because I'm a very social person. And if I'm alone for too long, I start to feel weepy. So 
I just try to go somewhere usually with somebody who I know I can like be funny with. We can make jokes together. If that's going to happen, that'll make me feel the best. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations of things you've seen recently or friends shows? Yeah. Um, well, I just saw Hades Town at New York Theater Workshop. Fantastic. I'm so jealous. Everybody, everybody in the company is doing some some real, just like beautiful work and also heartbreaking. It's it's Are gorgeous. They, is it open ended? Are they ending anytime soon? There, I think they go till the end of July. I think they go till July thirtieth. I know. I he's great. Okay. He's great. He's like a a cherub rock star if there ever was one. <laughs> he he's pretty I incredible. That's what I did. I went yeah. I got rush tickets for uh, a Sunday night show and I just the box office opens at noon. I was the only one there. Okay. So it's possible. And they're like 25 bucks. Right. Yeah. Anything else? Uh I just think this podcast is so cool and I'm so happy that you're that you're making it. I've listened to, I haven't heard all the episodes. I think I've missed a couple along the way, but I've heard a lot of them. And it's just, thanks for doing this. Thanks for like, Thank you. You've been so supportive from the beginning. my pleasure. This has been so cool because not only is it a chance for all of us to hear everybody, all these different artists voices, but I think it's also a really cool thing that this is a part of the fabric of the story we tell. Like we've, these are all recorded now, yeah. you know, I think that's, Yeah. Not a lot of people see them in the present. That's that's awesome though, you know. In in years to come, you know, I wish like I wish I could have heard Jim Houghton or Oscar Eustace or somebody speak when they were my age, yeah. you know, and know where their head was at, know what they were after then, mm-hmm. maybe how that's changed now to see what they've built and become. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. listening to the compass podcast i'm leah walsh more episodes are coming soon please look for us on facebook and itunes i'd like to thank the following people for their generosity the compass cover art is by kim miller music by brendan spieth audio assistance from nick Choksi, and a special thanks to frankie j alvarez see you next time Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.